This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series, a series dedicated to supporting teachers who are working from home amidst the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. The Teaching From Home podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. Now, my aim during this Teaching From Home series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. There'll be technology-focused episodes, just how does remote teaching work? but there'll also be episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students' appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home. Then there are issues of safeguarding, differentiation and teacher mindset that have already come up throughout this series. We will hear from maths teachers, teachers from other subjects and primary teachers. There'll be teachers from the UK and, as we'll hear today, from overseas. Hopefully there'll be something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. So this time around, I was joined by not one, but two guests from the land down under. First, we have friend of the podcast, maths teacher and podcast host himself, Ollie Lovell. And Ollie and I are joined by maths teacher and Desmos guru, Bryn Humberstone. Now, this proved to be a fascinating conversation. Ollie and Bryn's schools are very different in terms of children's access to technology, so we were able to delve into how they are both trying to make that work. I also learned just how far Desmos has come as a tool that seems perfectly suited to remote teaching, and not just for maths. Indeed, Bryn makes a compelling case that Desmos is just about all you need to check your students' understanding. And he shared loads of links in the show notes, including his Desmos whiteboard, which is essentially an online whiteboard where teachers and students can submit answers and thoughts freehand. Honestly, it's absolutely superb. I also take the opportunity to ask Ollie what he learned from his wonderful series of podcasts interviewing teachers and experts about remote learning. I really hope you enjoy this one and find it as useful as I do. And as ever, please stay safe. Okay, it gives me great pleasure to welcome not one but two guests to the podcast, both from Down Under. So we'll start with a returning favourite, Ollie. Hello, and can you just remind listeners a little bit about yourself and just tell us about your school context, if that's all right. Sure, Craig. Well, thanks for having me on. Again, um, I'm Ollie Lovell. I'm the head of senior maths at a school in the west of Melbourne. Um, I guess what else is relevant? 
I'm also a learning specialist there. I teach senior maths and senior physics. I also run a podcast called the Education Research Reading Room if people are looking for any more education podcasts out there. Uh, in terms of the school, there's about a 1,000 students. We're spread across three campuses. Um, it's about 60% language backgrounds other than English, and it's a pretty low socioeconomic status area. So 60% of our kids are in the, the bottom quartile in terms of wealth. Got it. Fantastic. Um, and it gives me even more pleasure to welcome, I always like having a new person on the show. So we have got uh, Bryn. Bryn, tell us a little bit about yourself and your school. Sure. Uh, well, I'm Bryn and I don't have a podcast to plug uh, <laughs> on your airtime. And my blog is also very underwhelming compared to both of yours. Um, but I'm the head of maths at Brighton Grammar School, which is an independent boys school in the, uh, in the wealthy suburb of Brighton in Melbourne. And I'm the head of maths there. Fantastic. And and Bryn, just, just pay us a bit of context about what life's like uh, in Australia, just generally, before we dive into the specifics. Um, you're on lockdown, as we just discovered uh, in the kind of pre-chat. Um, how long have you been on lockdown for? And what, what's kind of the general feeling of, of, of the country? What, what what sense are you getting during this time? Oh, it's a lot of pressure to represent an entire country's <laughs> view of this period of time, which you know, I'll probably look foolish. Um, well, our country is actually seemingly doing quite well in terms of the actual statistics. I don't know if you've seen the Financial Times charts that come out every day, but Australia is one of the countries that's in dark blue, which is, uh, is sort of comforting. And uh, it's sort of a weird vibe because not many people in Australia have it, and um, it looks as though we're sort of improving things day by day. Uh, but people are people are abiding by the government's recommendations by and large and trying to steer clear of each other. Um, everyone has a different definition of what constitutes an essential thing to go out for. <laughs> I have to admit, I still um, I still pop out for a takeaway coffee now and then, and uh, arguably that's essential. <laughs> nice, fantastic. Um, one thing I'm interested in uh, just throughout this is 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 kind of teacher mindset and and how they kind of set up their day and the structure and so on. So let, let me come to you first, Ollie, and um, talk us through one of your typical kind of school days or work days. I'm interested in the start time, the end time, what you do with breaks, what preparation, and how does that fit in with any other responsibilities you might have going on? Sure. Um, so I have recently been trying to get up pretty early, as I usually would, uh, start the day with a bit of space repetition, um, try to do a little bit of writing. And then um, something I've always really appreciated about um, my school is I can ride my bike there from where I live. And so I've actually been still doing that. So I've still been <laughs> riding to school, turning around and riding home every morning. <laughs> Are you yeah. Um, I just think it's a great start to the day. Uh, it just takes twice as long as before. Um, so I've done that. And then... W- we, we've only got our lessons concentrated in the morning from 9 to 11.30 uh, during lockdown. So that's kind of class time when I have a class on the particular day. And then, yeah, just the rest of the day is just planning, marking and those kinds of things. Got it. Fantastic. How about yourself, Brynn? Are you going for this uh, this bike ride in the morning to your school? Or? <laughs> well, I'm definitely not riding my bike all the way to sunshine, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, well, I've got, I've got two children at home, a seven and eight-year-old, and so I probably don't want to be um, spending more time than I have to doing extra exercise, although I have enjoyed going for the occasional walk uh, in the morning with one or both of my children. Um, our school day starts at 8.15 and um, goes through, in theory, until 4.30. But in practice, there are lots of large breaks in between there. So we've got 45-minute um, periods with 10-minute breaks in between. But I'm only teaching two of those, plus I have a couple of pastoral commitments at the start and the end of each day. 
Got it. And just just on the, the children and perspective, Bryn, because this, this is this is one thing that's coming through in this teaching from home series I'm doing is that there's big challenges if you've got um, children of your own at home. What what are they doing? Are they being set work from school? And are you having to kind of do a bit of homeschooling? Yeah, no, I I agree. That seems to be the big division. The the people who do and don't have children. Although my children, they're a bit older than you know. I feel for people who have toddlers at home or mm. babies. I just I don't really know how that works. Um, oh, I won't, I'll tell so, you now, it, it doesn't work, Bryn, is, is the answer to that one. <laughs> but, <sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, my, my children are relatively independent um, for seven and eight-year-olds, um, but the school sets work. And uh, the first week of lockdown was a massive struggle because the school set work, they emailed us and we were just in charge of, um, I guess, distributing that work to, to our own offspring. And that wasn't necessarily that well received. And also I was looking at some of the work that was set and I was thinking, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not sure if I think that's that useful. But at the same time, I don't want to undermine my children's school. Um, however, we, we were lucky actually in Australia because a lot of us went into lockdown for a week. Sorry, we, we stopped our teaching and learning and in a physical school about a week before the Easter holidays. Mm. And then we had two and a half weeks of holidays, which gave a lot of schools time to reset and rethink it and my children's school has done just a wonderful um rethink of the whole thing and they've got a combination of synchronous and asynchronous classes and so my own children are you know they've, they've got homeroom with their teacher and they've got some synchronous classes in the day as well fantastic superb and um, well let, let me bounce back to you ollie um about the actual teaching itself um we'll get into the practicalities of how it's working and so on but i'm interested in the content um are you teaching new stuff are you just doing focusing on retrieval? And have you changed the order of what you would have been teaching in any way? Yeah, so I actually only have year 12s at the moment this year, so I basically have to keep covering content. Um, all the content I'm covering, doing it asynchronously, so through videos. Um, and I've the way I'm doing it, I'm taking about a, a, a third longer than I would have beforehand. So what I would have covered in three weeks before, I'm covering in four weeks now. Um, well, that's what I'm planning to do. I'm not quite, we're not four weeks in yet, so I can't do if it's working or not. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the broad thing. What was the second part of your question? I'm interested, have, have you, are there any topics that you've thought, mm, it's not it's not going to work remotely, if you had to rejig the order in any way? That's right, you mentioned the ordering. So, because I'm using a online kind of suite of videos and checking for understanding questions and things like that called Ed Rollo, which I wasn't using before uh, in class, but since online I have been, um, they've already got a sequence. So, I just have basically taken what I had planned, which was a slightly different sequence, but covering the same content, and I've re rejigged it to better match the Ed Rollo built-in sequence because I thought that would be easier for students than trying to go between watch video five then watch video three etc etc got it fantastic we'll talk talk about the practicalities of Ed Rollo I've not come across that one Ollie uh, well, we'll come back to that one that's fantastic uh, Bryn just on the content thing for you um, is, it, is it a similar thing are you kind of plowing on the same order that you would have done or are you following any well, any prescribed order yeah, we, we probably have a bit more flexibility at our school because the majority of our lessons are synchronous classes. And so even though they're a bit shorter, we I still see my year 11s four times a week and I see my year 12s four times a week. So we've slowed things down a little bit. Um, so we're not trying, we're not as ambitious as we were in the past, but um, yeah, we're still keeping on going though. Got it. Fantastic. And are you finding, um, Brent, just on that, are, are there any topics that have proven particularly difficult to, to, to teach, or more difficult than they would have been um, in, in a live classroom setting? Um, 
I don't, I don't know. Actually, my own style of teaching probably suits itself to this reasonably well because I tend to teach from a tablet computer projected onto a TV or a whiteboard. And so really, I just have them all in the front row now. Um, certainly, if I were the type of teacher who taught, um, you know, with physical objects and I was moving them around, I think I think that would be a lot harder. Um, there are one or two topics that I know within our faculty we've um, we've postponed or re- reduced and we've just decided, well, we're just not going to be able to do that easily and, and we'll pick it up in a subsequent year. But as um, Ollie was sort of alluding to, with Year 12s, you don't really have the option of just not teaching them something because our high stakes exams are at the end of the year. I could add something to that. Um, I did have a chat with some of the other team members in our department before the lockdown when it looked like it was coming and we did completely swap some units around. So, for example, further maths, um, which is like the lowest pre-tertiary maths here in Victoria, um, there's one topic which is recursion and financial maths, which students always have trouble with and we just said we're just going to do that um, next term and we and we brought mm-hmm. matrices back and said you students should be able to handle that online um, and then they'll have the extra support hopefully if we do end up going back um, during that time yeah that's that's an interesting one that's that's kind of two trends that have come through when teachers have moved order it's either been they thought a topic was too difficult so would benefit more from teacher support so they've shifted that or they thought a topic just didn't lend itself to online teaching because it needed physical kind of movement or something along those lines that that, that's fascinating that and Bryn I'm I'm gonna bounce back to you here because I I don't want to always give Ollie the kind of first shot first shot at the questions here so don't want you always picking up the the sloppy seconds on this one so (laughs) so let me come to you um what's been your balance between live teaching and and kind of assigning asynchronous work and what what kind of brought about that decision was it the school or was it was it was it you as an individual teacher yeah, so that's a that's a school decision. In our week before the holidays, we were basically setting up for one week of asynchronous teaching where we were going to post videos onto our learning management system and the boys would do some work, you know, they'd watch the video, do some questions. But during that time, we were also invited to experiment with different things and a lot of us, not just maths teachers, started playing around in Zoom and um, trying trying that out and we found we actually quite liked the experience. And um, I guess that was part of the reasoning behind going to what we've got now. So in um, in year 10 to 12, basically every period is synchronous, like it's a live period run in Zoom. It's a little bit shorter than a normal class at 45 minutes, but otherwise it's it's business as usual on that, on that one. In 7 to 9, um, they have some asynchronous classes as well. And in maths, it's one of the four periods a week is asynchronous where they're just set work to go on with. Um, and the rationale, so it wasn't my decision to make, but I, I support it wholeheartedly. <laughs> uh, the, the rationale was at the school level was we don't want boys just sitting in front of their computer all day long for a start. And also a little bit of independence and autonomy for the for the students to actually decide, well, you know, I'm going to have to do a bit of independent learning here. How am I going to solve this problem by myself? Got it. And, and just on the um, the asynchronous side of things, Bryn, when you were talking earlier about in that first week setting videos for the kids to watch, were they videos that were produced by your own staff, your colleagues, or were they ones kind of for, from YouTube and so on? So so we were permitted to use any of those as our options. I, I probably made a bit of a mistake in that because I wanted to make my own videos and we were doing year 12. And in fact, we were doing that topic that Ollie just decided, described as being quite hard to do. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, thanks for telling me now, Ollie. But anyway, we've we've plowed ahead. 
Um, and actually, that was one of the reasons why I was struggling a lot in that last, the first week of this whole business, because I would be teaching my classes in Zoom during the day, but because I'd committed to making the videos, then after my own children went to bed, I was recording videos. Ooh, and also, yes. I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist with my videos, so it was taking, you know, maybe like two to three hours <laughs> to, wow. um, to record and produce videos, because... You know, with with students, I don't think they want to be hearing the ums and the yas and the long pauses and the oh, whoops, uh, oh, there's a mistake in the textbook here. <laughs> they don't want to hear any of that. Well, I assume not. Um, so I tried to make them snappy, but it, it was costly. Jeez, flipping heck. Um, well, we'll dive more into what what your actual live teaching looks like, and if that if that's quicker and easier. Um, in in a second, Brim. But let, let me come to you, Ollie. You've alluded to this already, but just just spell it out for us. Um, what's the balance for you between live teaching and, and asynchronous learning? So I'm using the live approach more for connecting with the students, providing some feedback and kind of checking in with how they're going with the content. Um, and basically all new content delivery is asynchronous. And there's a very important reason for that. And that's basically the disadvantage that my, my students face. So there's a situation where, you know, multiple families, like, you know, five or six kids, one laptop between them. Yep. If, if, they've, if they've all got a class scheduled at the same time, they just can't make it. <clears throat> also, there's data issues in terms of streaming a video for an extended period of time, the cost of that versus watching like a three minute video or something. So I've purposefully just delivered everything, all new content asynchronously. And it means that if, even if students can't make that check-in um, that we have once a week, uh, they can still go on and, and learn all the content. Just um, just in case I forget to ask later, Ali, just talk me through um, the practicalities of that check-in. Well, what software are you using for that and how does that work? So we, uh, what, Teachers are given a bit of flexibility at our school. I've been using Zoom, um, and that was based upon the multiple conversations I had with people when I did a similar series to what you're doing now in terms of online learning. Um, and people just talked about the benefits of Zoom. So the way that's been looking mainly is I try to start off with like a little game. Uh, probably need to improve my games. They haven't been working that well. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> looking for any ideas, if any of you listen to have good ideas. And then I'll move, uh, then I'll move into Desmos. And Desmos, I'm not sure to what extent your listeners are familiar with Desmos. Um, Bryn's actually a world world leader in Desmos, is what I like to call him. So um, he'll, he'll have a lot more to offer than me. <laughs> but in terms of summarizing, um, what it enables me to do is it enables me to set some questions and see students working on those questions in real time. So I'll pick questions based upon what I knew, know they struggled on from the prior week, um, which I can see through the kind of online learning software that they're using. Uh, Bryn's just adjusting his like, little Desmos sign in the background there so he can all see it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very sorry that listeners can't see that. He's holding He's it on there. brand there. But is this I a, like a laser, laser cut Desmos <laughs> sign? Did you, did you design that one yourself, Bryn? Um, yeah, I did design. I don't want to interrupt your answer though, but yeah, we had a, a professional learning day where we got to do try some different things and uh, I chose laser cutting. And everyone else was getting their, you know, their wives or their husbands or their children's names laser cut. And I chose to get Desmos laser cut. Yeah, and, and, and Bryn would like to remind us that he is not, as yet, uh, sponsored by Desmos. Um, <laughs> but Desmos, watch out. You should definitely be sponsoring him. Um, anyway, back to it. So I'll, I'll pick content that I know students struggled with. And I'll basically set up, you know, something between 10 and 20 questions that I anticipate students might struggle with. And I can see them working through that in real time. And I can say, oh, Craig, go back to screen three. Um, have a think about X, Y, Z. Um, and that's just kind of like a check-in so I can see how they're going. And the following that, I'll say, this is what we're going to cover for the next week i'll kind of do a screencast and say here's the content here's where it's all at um now you can jump in if you want to turn off your camera now that's fine save your data if you do, if you don't want to you can keep on working in the background and ask me questions as you go 
Oh, fantastic. fascinating. So that that's a kind of once a week check-in, is, is that, have I got that right, Ollie? Correct, yes. And do you, you obviously set a kind of time for that, that, that all students are going to try to be online, but I, I assume there's kind of flexibility built in there that if a student for whatever reason can't get online at that time, that's not a major, that's not a major disaster. Yeah, that's right. So our school, um, our senior school, our junior school actually isn't doing um, any online classes at the moment. It's all just via email and things like that. But our senior school, um, they created an altered timetable so that each class has one two and a half hour period each week from nine till eleven thirty. Got it, got it. And one more question for you, Ollie, before I I, I fire back to Bryn for, for the Desmos story. Uh, let me just ask let me just ask you this. Um in terms of the kind of is is there a kind of social or pastoral side to this check-in thing that you do. I'm interested in the, in the game that you that you mentioned there. Is that kind of math specific kind of starter or are you are you taking any opportunity to do the kind of chat or the banter side of teaching that, that is obviously so hard to replicate in these situations? Yeah, so the game has been, it's, I've been trying to get a bit of a mix of both. So, I mean, I've actually only had one lesson with each class because we were told in, our, in the first week of school that when we went back not to, do any, not to do any videos or anything like that. So, I've only had one, so I've only had one chance. But what I did was just like a kind of taboo thing. So, I got a few students to look away from the camera, showed the rest of the class um, a maths word and then kind of split them in two teams and played a game. Um, which worked in some ways and didn't work in other ways, and I'm trying to trying to refine that a little bit. Um, so yeah, I've tried to do that check in, um, but I have actually found it really really hard because you can't in Zoom you can't just have a little private one on one and say how is your weekend because every other kid mm-hmm. hears it and then the student doesn't want to take up the other you know, student's time. And it's really challenging. So I mean, what I have been doing, I've been using the chat and just kind of sending kids uh, independent messages in the Zoom chat, just how are you going along with this, etc. And then I've been sending them quite a few emails, just just a quick check in, how are you going? Have you, have you got any questions? Have you had any challenges with X Y Z this week? Got it. Fantastic. Superb, Ollie. Uh, well, I'll come back to you um, about the nature of the asynchronous work um, in a second. But let me let me go to you, Bryn, then. So um, can you talk us through one, one of your lessons? Can you talk us through what, what it'll look like? Go in as much detail as you can. I'm interested in the software you're using, what your kids are using, particularly how you're assessing understanding throughout it, what apps you're using and so on and so forth. Sure. Uh, I should say that it, it's changing quite rapidly. So I was I was feeling like you know every day I'm learning some new trick and this uh, yesterday was my twelfth day of teaching in this format, so I mean I'm I'm only a veteran <laughs> to the extent that twelve days counts me as a veteran, um, and actually literally this morning I was I was thinking about how I could improve one aspect of it, but um, so we run I run my lessons in Zoom, which is what all of us are doing uh, at our school. And just at the start, one thing that I've done differently is I allow the boys to have a bit of just chat time. It's much more casual at the start, partly because they come in, you know, there's a bit of a lag between the official start time of the class and when they, um, you know, when I'm going to start the instruction. But it's probably less tight than I would have usually had my physical classroom. You know, usually on the way into the classroom, rule number one is, you know, we're not going to talk about social stuff. No, that has to wait until lunchtime. Well, I've sort of reversed that and I've allowed a, a bit of hello. And they, in fact, they can call across the classroom virtually uh, at the start until we make a start. Um, then I'll, it depends on whether, exactly what I'm going to do on that day. Often I will have a Desmos activity. Um, it could be like a, a check for understanding on previous material, uh, a retrieval practice, uh, or it could be some sort of helping to understand a new concept activity. 
Can I just um, and, uh, just pause you there one second bit? Because Desmos is something that, um, again, many listeners will be will be familiar with, but will have probably used it just to in class plot a function or something like that. Whole kind of class, it's taken on a whole new life. I, I found anyway, and when teachers are using it remotely, can you just um, dive into a little bit of detail about just yeah, how you use yeah. that, and particularly? when Ollie was mentioning kind of viewing different screens and checking for understanding and so on, just talk a little bit more about that and its functionality, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. I quickly want to um, contradict something Ollie said. I'm not the world leader <laughs> of Desmos, and there are lots of people out there who know lots of stuff. And, top three, um, Bryn, yeah. though, I'm reckoning. At least top three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think you should think, I don't know if you've ever used Socrative or GoFormative or, any, or Nearpod, any sort of... Um, any sort of program where you can collate student answers and use that as a way of seeing if they're understanding, it's it's got an element of that called Desmos Classroom Activities. And so even though I fell in love with Desmos when it was just a graphing calculator, I used to give this talk um, to, to uni students about technology and maths, and it, I used to talk about Desmos for graphing, uh, Socrative for formative assessment through multiple choice, and Nearpod for visual uh, formative assessment. So if I wanted to see, you know, can they all graph a parabola or whatever. Mm. And then over the years, Desmos has basically just got all those functions of those other two, or most of the functions that I care about anyway. And so, yeah, so it's a one-stop shop for formative assessment in, in, my, in my mind. So basically students can be... Another way of describing, I should say, I describe it sometimes to teachers as it's like PowerPoint on steroids. So you can create like a slideshow... And the students can click through the slides, but instead of just reading static content, they're actually responding to questions, and that's collated on a teacher screen. So if it's a multiple-choice screen, it would be a histogram of the um, responses. Uh, if it were a short answer screen, then it will collate them and group them based on um, you know most common answer, second most common answer. Uh, if it was a sketch screen where they're drawing, you can see all their pictures there in, in the one window, and you can even overlay them on top of each other. Wow. And and again, it's it's hard for, for, and I'm going to use the word expert, it's hard for an expert like you, Bryn, sometimes to kind of get a sense of the complexity. But is, is this a relatively easy thing for a, a novice teacher to Desmos to, to set up and get up and running? I think it is. I've been, I've, we've had a couple of sessions at my school over Zoom just this last week about how to make an activity and how to use it. And so teachers, I have been starting to use it just for the first time. I'd say it's very easy, in fact. And if you went to teacher.desmos.com today at the time of recording, uh, which is probably going to be very unlikely, but hopefully it's still there. Up the top of the screen, there's like links to, there are links to webinars and um, videos explaining how to do it all. Um, but another another misconception I find is that Desmos is just about maths. And that was their original, well, I guess Ooh. their original inter intention was to be about math. But since we're from Australia and England, we can safely say maths. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, they're chemistry teachers. I've got Chinese teachers using it. You know, the, the students are drawing Chinese characters and the teacher can quickly see, are they getting it wow. right? Um, yeah, you could use it for literature. You know, or there's a sequence of events. You could you could get people to do an ordered list where they have to sequence the events in a story. 
Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sponsored by them, so I should stop going on about how good it is. <laughs> and just, it is just very the, good. And just on that, Bryn, um, as well, I'm, 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 I'm getting a decent. I mean, first thing to say is I, had, I did not have a clue it could do all those, those kind of things. I was aware of the kind of classroom activities that you could set. And as Ollie mentioned, I've played around with that functionality where you can see different kids' screens and so on and so forth. But I wasn't aware of all the the formative assessment side of things and so on. So that's definitely something I'm going to be going to be checking out. I've got a sense now from a teacher perspective of, of you, how you kind of set it up and so on and so forth. Just talk to me a little bit about what it's like for, for, for the students. What are they, are they watch, is it like a, like watching a video, this, this slideshow, what device are they using? Have they got so, kind of a pen and so on? What does it look like from the kid's perspective? So they're going through it just through their web browser. They go to student.desmos.com. Um, they type in a code and then they work their way through the screens. So uh, if, if it's asking them a question, they respond to the question on that, on that screen. Um, and then they will go on to the next screen, answer that question, and it's coming up on the dash on your dashboard, the teacher dashboard, as they're going. And they go at their um, own pace, do they, Bryn? Uh, yes, although you can actually – you can also control the pace. Uh, it's got – Initially, they didn't have some of these features, but one some of the features I really like about it are you can pause the activity at any point. So if you want to call the whole class's attention to something, or if the activity is just over and you want to move on, you pause the activity. You hear the groans, although nowadays <laughs> they would have to they have to unmute their microphone in order to groan nowadays. So you don't get that as much. Um, but another thing you can do is also you can pace them, which means you can restrict them to one screen or a group of screens. Um, so you could. You could run an activity where you pace them, you restrict them to the first four screens, see that they can do the basic concept, and then maybe pick up some misconceptions before they just zoom ahead and get, you know, a whole pile of in incorrect answers. And this this may be a really stupid question, Ben, so I apologize here, but have you got something like Zoom running at the same time as this so you can message the kids and communicate, or is is it literally everything being done via the web browser using Desmos? Um, you can do both, actually. So the way Ollie described it was he's running teacher.desmos.com in one window and he's talking to the students in Zoom. Uh, I sometimes do that, but I'm finding, um, well, that's what I would usually do in a classroom. You know, I'll just call out to them and say, hey, Johnny, check screen three. Um, however, they did add a feature about four weeks ago called um, teach or student feedback where you can kind of message them within the app. So you can click on the student's name on a particular screen and have some sort of feedback like check this screen or, or, you know, this looks more like a parabola if they were meant to draw a cubic or whatever. And then it will pop up on their screen. They can click on that message and, and it will send them to the screen that you left feedback on. Wow. And oh, this is blowing my mind a little bit, this print. And um, let me just hop across to you, Ollie. Um, have you gone into this amount of depth with Desmos that, that Bryn's talking about? And it, I guess in an ideal world, if your kids had access to, to devices and stuff, would this be a route that you're going down or, or, or are there any kind of problems with it that you see? Yeah. So, I mean, I have basically, Bryn and I have been friends for a while and I've, I've been introduced to Desmos through Bryn and I went and watched him teach using it with his iPad and with his students all on their laptops uh, probably three or four years ago now. And I was absolutely amazed by the insight it gave him. Um, into exactly how they're working in the classroom in the moment. Um, and I've <laughs> wanted to be able to use it in the classroom ever since, but it's just not the situation at the school that I'm at in terms of devices and things like that. So if I was in a classroom where every student had a device that was charged and ready to go, um, I would definitely be using Desmos more. Um, 
but it's not the case at the moment. But I am enjoying the fact that um, for the students who can log in for those live check-ins, I can now use Desmos. Um, in terms of the depth, uh, a lot of the time I've actually been using some of the fantastic uh, lessons that Bryn has been making. Um, so that means I've had access to all of this functionality, the different sketching, card matches, um, interesting ways to, to, to kind of track students' work. But for other classes like my Year 12 Physics class, I've had to learn how to uh, make these Desmos activities myself. And it's actually been surprisingly easy and intuitive. Um, once once I got my head around the kind of restrictions, like, um, you know, students aren't going to be able to write very neatly. So I need to restrict the kind of questions that I ask them to ones where they need to draw like simple arrows and simple labeling because they're just using their trackpad. Um, mm -hmm. But even with against the backdrop of those restrictions, I've still found it much more powerful than any other solution I've found in terms of getting immediate feedback through this kind of online medium and tracking how students are going and then also providing like in the moment feedback to students. Wow. Uh, the, 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 there's two things that's blown my mind about this. One of uh, one I've already mentioned is the functionality. I wasn't aware it had all that functionality. But the second thing is um, I'm getting a sense that you can use this for a lot of um, subjects within mathematics so it's not just you it's not just your graphing which is the thing that that kind of uh, kind of flies out to me i would think desmos graphing um i'll go to bryn first and again ollie feel free to come in um i don't suppose you can put a rough number on this bryn and um, well, what kind of percentage of of your kind of maths curriculum do you reckon you could cover using desmos these facilities in it in this remote teaching environment are you literally using desmos for for everything um no, so I'm not I'm not teaching the content through Desmos, but I'm using it for formative assessment. So I would say it's similar to how you can ask questions about anything in diagnostic questions. Uh, I would use Desmos for that, um, and I'll just ask them a range of questions. So that topic that Ollie described before, I have a couple of Desmos activities where they have to, um, you know, figure out a sequence of numbers based on a recurrence relation, and they have to model um, compound and simple interest through it. So I would say anything could be taught through Desmos. It's not always the best tool uh, tool to expose a student to a concept. I'd say the more visual concepts are better. So probably above graphing, I would say the best uh, demonstration of Desmos would be something like a unit circle activity where you're forced to actually visualize, well, what does it mean to get to 70 degrees on a unit circle? And why is it that sine of uh, you know 130 degrees is positive? And why is it equal to uh, sine of, 70 degrees. Oh, no, that's wrong. I knew I'd stuff it up if I tried to do it as I'm talking. I feel like it's 50 degrees. Oh, can you check you that? Need, you, need Des, you need Des muscle fear, Bryn. This, that's where you're going <laughs> no, you wrong. Can I, also, I just want to say something about, in terms of making an activity, the number one activity that I've used in the past week is a single screen activity I made called Mini Whiteboard. And all it consists of is a full screen sketch. So rather than uh, you know a physical mini whiteboard where students would write on it and hold it up to the teacher, I get students to log in and after I've done you know an example of something, then I get them to draw a similar graph if, if the case I'm thinking of was a graph um, and label the points on it. And then I can just see it coming up on my screen and I can even showcase one or two good answers and maybe showcase a misconception through that. And I mean, again, this, this is absolutely fascinating, Bryn. Two questions on that. Um, do you, are there any access issues for for kids uh, who don't don't have access to devices or the ability to, to to write things, whether it's using a stylus or whatever? And if so, how, how do you get around that? Yeah, the the writing thing 
like what Ollie said, I most students won't have easy access to a stylus. You know, they, they did have styluses with their devices initially, but a lot of them have kind of gone missing or broken or whatever. So I tend not to rely on that. But it's it's a pretty low level requirement. I should say, you know, it's an affluent suburb and it's a it's a wealthy kind of environment that I'm teaching in. So all they need is an internet connection and a web browser and and that's enough. Like and there are students who sometimes would do it just on a phone. It's not as it's not as nice, but they can do it on a phone even. I see. And the, the second part of my question was, so I'm getting the sense that you can do the vast majority of your assessment for learning and kind of communications via, via Desmos. For the for the demonstrations and the examples and stuff and, and specifically the the setting of practice work that you can't do via Desmos. And um, what, what does that look like, Brim? What are you using for that? Um, well, this is probably a bit boring, but I, <laughs> I tend to use a textbook. All right. Just okay. say, yeah. So, you know, the, so obviously I explain a concept to them. I might give an example of how to do the thing, then get them to do a, a now you try version of the example on their mini whiteboard, their virtual mini whiteboard, uh, and then I'll set some textbook work. And yeah. all the kids have, got, I, kids have got physical textbooks, have they at home, or is it online? They, or? Uh, either or. So some have physical textbooks, some some will use the digital product. I did want to put in a plug. I This is probably, because I've listened to both of your podcasts and heard uh, a lot of ideas, it's probably just a rehash, but I'll just put in a plug for within Zoom, the private message function is very useful for just a quick check for understanding on something that's not visual. So so yesterday afternoon, I was teaching my year 12s and I we, we had a sequence on the board or on their virtual screen or whatever. And I said, I want you to work out what the fourth term in this sequence is going to be and just message me in the private chat. And so I could see the answers flooding in. Most of them were getting it right. One person was off by, by one term in the sequence and a couple of people said, oh, I have no idea. But as a check for understanding, I find if you don't, if it's nothing fancy, if it's just something that could be a text answer or a numerical answer, the Zoom private chat is probably the least um, frictionful. Ollie here, hands raised there. Here he hands comes. Raised. I want to ask for another question. Bryn, you, you were speaking about the kind of the whiteboard setup. Sorry, I'm, I'm taking over and asking questions now. You talked about the, the whiteboard setup you were using with Desmos. Um, that's really interesting to me. Do you, First question is, do you use whiteboards in the classroom? And secondly, would you ever think about replacing mini whiteboards in the classroom with, say, if every student had an iPad, just using this Desmos whiteboard feature that you were talking about? Great questions, and um, thanks for asking them. I, I hey, I'm, an, I'm, started... anno- I'm annoyed, Bryn. You've not said great questions to any of my questions so far. There's a bit of favoritism here, but go on, I'll, let, I'll let that one slide for now. Go on. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway. Um, he, your questions have been very good, Craig. Thanks, Bryn. Um, the... The mini whiteboards, I actually only start, I only finally bought mini whiteboards um, this year for the first time. This is my 17th year of teaching, and I finally got around to actually getting some physical mini whiteboards. And I guess um, I always think in terms of trade-offs in the classroom, well, I shouldn't say always, I probably started thinking after the Craig Barton interview with Dylan Williams, so where, where Craig asked some very, very good questions. <laughs> um, but, you know, Dylan Williams talking about the trade-off question. So there's a trade-off in the whiteboards. Do I want to hand them out and deal with, you know, the time lag and then, you know, collecting them all in? Um, so sometimes I've been doing that this year and sometimes I've thought, oh, it's not really worth it today. And actually, once um, the whole coronavirus thing took off, I realized I can't just be passing around these whiteboards anyway. So that was the end of that plan. 
Um, but but then in terms of the overhead, the overhead at the moment is actually smaller than ever because to open up student.desmos.com, it's not a matter of, all right, boys, get out your devices or get out your laptops, log in. They're already on their devices to watch me teach the lesson. They just have to open a new tab, uh, go to student.desmos.com. So it's a smaller overhead now. So, so we- in answer to your question, I probably I probably won't start doing it in my regular classes. I, I think... I, I tend to do the check for understanding just in their physical text uh, in the physical exercise book. So I'll do a question, then they'll do it in their exercise book, and I'll just come around and you know I'll just wander across the class. I'll tell you what one thing that's been fascinating here, and it came, it's an obvious point, but it wasn't obvious to me until I think Michael Pershing made it on on the show, was that a significant advantage in terms of check for understanding, whether it's using the private message function in Zoom or whether it's using the the virtual whiteboard in Desmos, is that kids can't see each other's responses, which is a massive advantage. If you've got a low confidence student who doesn't want to be seen as being wrong in front of everyone else, or you've got a student who likes to do that tactical delay where they'll just hold fire a second on showing their answer, have a cheeky look at everyone else and then show. So it's what, I mean, there's lots of negatives about this whole thing, but that seems to be one real positive coming through that check for understanding can work really, really well. I don't know if either of you have found that from your kids that actually maybe you're getting more responses doing it this way. Potentially, but I'd say that's assuming they haven't got a back channel chat going on Messenger or something like that, giving each other the answers. <laughs> yeah, very, very good point. Very good point. Um, final thing, uh, Bryn, just just uh, so I can get a full sense of, of, of your lessons here. Um, so I'm, I'm picturing now, and correct me if I've got this wrong, um, we've got De- we've got the uh, Desmos Classroom um, feature running where you can do your modeling, you can do your kind of check for understanding, you can potentially also do your demonstrations if it lends itself to that. You've got your textbook uh, kind of exercises going on for the for the practice and so on. The one piece I've not got my head around is what kind of brings the lesson together at the end. Are you do the kids just because they've got the textbooks mark their own work and that's the end of the story, or do you bring it together for a plenary? What 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 kind of rounds off these lessons yeah yeah and actually just hearing that description i realized it makes it sound like i never really actually teach them stuff along the way uh, so i tend in terms of how i actually do the questions for them i might be writing them on my tablet computer and um and projecting that through zoom or lately i've been just using my own mini whiteboards i've been sort of channeling my my adam boxer after i saw his uh, research head talk um and and doing it that way in terms of wrapping it up, because it's only 45-minute lessons, by the time I have those other features in, I, often the students are going to be doing their work outside class time mm. because they have only four or five periods out of the eight potential periods a day, and the goal is to get most homework done during that time. But, uh, yeah, in the maths classes, they're not doing a huge amount of actual textbook practice, and so it's not until the next lesson that they can say, you know, I'm stuck on this, or they could email me. Um, but I don't, I don't have a large portion of that 45 minutes where they're just working on exercises. Got it. And it's not a case that I've heard from some teachers who get the kids to take a photo of the work that they've done on pen and paper and send it to you. It's not that, is it, for you, Brent? It's your well, kind of trust in them to, to, no, to mark so, <laughs> Yeah, good, good question. There was actually um, something I thought, oh, finally, I'm going to have a solution to the problem of checking homework because I'm, I'm actually quite bad at it. And I'm worried that any students are listening in, although I think it's somewhat unlikely. But I, I basically struggle to build that into my routine because just can't I just can't get into it, even though I think it's important. Um, and I thought, oh, this is good. I can get them to automatically take a photo and upload it through the LMS. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing. 
Um, and it's it's actually on my to do list for for the, after this interview to to check the past weeks ones because I started out with the intention of oh I'll just be able to check that every day and stay on top of them, but again I just um, I don't know it just drifts off my radar. <laughs> yeah. So, but I I like the idea of doing that and you know if if there were a way that every student could collate um, photos as a nice PDF using software that you know they're comfortable with and it just worked magically. I would probably be more into it, but because you potentially look at a whole pile of dodgy, fuzzy, rotated photos, it just, it's scary to even look in there. I don't want to even look. <laughs> um, I have actually one more bonus question for you that, that I, I have to ask here. Um, when I've been speaking to, to teachers, particularly for, from the UK um, on this mini series of Teaching From Home podcasts, whenever it's been teachers who've said, we are not doing this live teaching, there's been three reasons that, that have come through from it. The first is what Ollie's alluded to, and that is kind of access issues from the student point of view. You can't guarantee the kids are going to be online or have access to those devices at that time. And that's, I completely, I completely understand that one. I saw, I saw that one coming. The second is a time issue for the teachers themselves. Actually, they've got responsibilities looking after their own kids, so they can't guarantee that at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday they can be in a position to teach a lesson. I understand that. The one that surprised me, and I'm, I'm interested if this is an issue for you in your school or in the country in general, is this safeguarding issue that actually having um, a kind of access to kids' homes and so on and so forth and the teacher being there through a webcam and maybe you're seeing kids if they're doing work in their bedrooms or in their kitchens or whatever. And that actually for a lot of teachers, because the rules aren't crystal clear about what's appropriate and what isn't there, lots of teachers that I'm hearing from are saying, well, we're just not going there. It's just not worth the risk. Um, is that something that's a consideration for, for you as an, an individual teacher, your school and the kind of country as a whole? Do you have a sense of that, Bryn? So ab absolutely at the school level and there are a whole pile of policies put in place uh, and the students and the parents were made aware of the various policies. So in terms of what's appropriate to have in the background and the parents have, have consented, um, but I don't think the students have to turn their video on if there's an issue there. Um, it's, some, it's something I'm mindful of when I'm teaching as well. Some of my um, year nine boys, uh, sometimes I'm watching and I'm thinking, actually, that's not, I don't want to see that. And I just <laughs> stop their video straight away. Um, so I guess an example of one rule we have is any conversation that's just, or any Zoom meeting that consists of just you and a student must be recorded mm. onto a school device. And um, which which makes sense. You know, you don't want to be in a situation where there's some sort of private interaction that took place and, and there's no way of working out, well, what, what exactly was said there. Um, it, it can be... A little bit annoying because of what Ollie was saying before in terms of just having a private chat with someone, suddenly it becomes a bit of a palaver if you have to put them into a breakout room, hit record um, and then and then go for it. Uh, but that's, that's the process we've put in place there. Yeah. Got it. Not sure about you, Ollie. Yeah, um, we've, yeah Ollie. We, we've actually been told we're not allowed to have a one-on-one -on -one chat. I think the, the recording solution is a good one though, but we've just been blanket rule, no one-on-one -on -one video chats with students. Got it. Fantastic. Um, right. Let me come back, back to you, Noel. So we, we've spoke about your kind of once a week live interaction with as many students as, as possible. Um, let's talk now about what's happening for the rest of the week. Well, what kind of work are you setting your kids and, and how's that? How's that going? Cool. So at the start of the week or actually in the previous week, I'll assign a set of lessons through Edrollo, which is this online learning platform. So basically what that is, is a sequence of lessons that then has a check for understanding question um, distributed 
through it or a series of check for understanding questions distributed through it. Um, that's really good because I can actually see like basically progress bars for each student and I can see red or green whether or not they've got the, that check for understanding question correct or not. So that's the first I mean, is it, thing. Sorry, sorry, Ali. Is, is EdRollers something the school's kind of subscribed and bought into? It's, and and is it, it's not stuff that you're producing to put on there. It's kind of ready-made stuff. Is, is that right? That's correct. So EdRollers is ready-made resources for, I think it's only Victoria and New South Wales in Australia and it's only for the higher kind of certificate so year 11 and 12 students so it's you know it's it's only going to be available for a certain number of people but that's the basic functionality so I'll set that um I'll just talk about one class because then I can talk about the days. So that's from the previous week. Then on Monday, I, the task for students is to upload to me through Microsoft Teams a question based upon the homework that I've set. So there's the Edrollo lessons. Then I have looked through those lessons. I've matched them to sections in the textbook and I've made a selection of questions that have become their homework. Um, so their homework... After they've finished the Edroller lessons, they'll then work through their homework, which would be quite similar to what they'd be doing uh, with me anyway. Um, but on Monday, they're supposed to submit a question. Um, I will then, by 9am, I then look at those questions. I look at what students are struggling with and I look from their questions and I look at what they're struggling with from Ed Rollo and I use that to create a Desmos activity for Tuesday, which for this particular class is when I have that lesson. Um, so those questions and misconceptions feed into that Desmos like kind of check-in. Um, they get feedback. Then I tell them what, what um, they need to do for the following week in terms of Ed Rollo lessons. Um, and then their homework, because uh, I've now given them feedback on their misconceptions, etc., is then due on the Wednesday. Um, and the way that I want them to upload um, that homework is exactly how Bryn said, which is to create a scan and I've discovered a uh, app called Cam Scanner which I know works on I think Android for sure probably iOS as well so it's basically just bulk photograph several um, pages and it turns them into a PDF and then up- uploaded to Microsoft Teams okay this is fantastic Ollie number of questions on this so first off um, I'm seeing now that actually this um, this once a week live interaction that you have with the kids is, is a really important thing because you're uh, both from a social perspective but also this is your chance to review misconceptions and so on and so forth um, what do you do then for the kids who that you've alluded to before who simply can't access this is it recorded is there any way of they can they can benefit from it yeah so I don't I don't record the what well, First of all, there's a there's a caveat I've got to say, and that's I've been doing this for a week. So when I did my um, discussions with people who were um, who'd been teaching online, I actually said I only want to talk to people who've been doing this for more than two weeks. So at sure. this point in time, I wouldn't have qualified for my own interviews. So just putting that out, <laughs> out there to start off with. Um, but for but basically. I have already done this for some students, and that is if they've submitted a question and I haven't been able to answer it in the time or they haven't been online, I would just do a screencast for them. So I personally just use QuickTime in my Mac and a little tablet I've got and I'll take a photo of and put it in, put a picture of their question into like a open, open board and I'll just answer it, make a video and then just send them the link to that. I see. Got it. Got it. And um, just a similar question about the, the textbook. Um, your kids, when you're setting these textbook exercises, can they do they have access to the answers, Ollie, or is it very much they're waiting for you to do do the marking side of things for this? Yeah, so I always provide students with um, answers unless it's a test or a progress check, um, but then I'll be very quick. And that's just because my experience as a student... Um, I always wanted the answers, like, and I always provide the full work solutions. Now, some students take advantage of that and they cheat and copy, but it catches up with them pretty quickly. So, 
basically when I, when I set the homework, I will also provide them with a link to the work solutions for that those chapters. Got it, got it. And the other question I want to ask you, Ollie, and I don't want this to come out the wrong way, so I'll just say it and then see what you make of it, um, is if I was to make a prediction of all the people I've spoken to, um, and you was to say to me, name me one person who's going to be creating videos for their students, I would have said you, because you're very into your tech, you're very good at speaking and so on and so forth. Um, what has brought about this decision to not make kind of videos yourself that kids can watch kind of in their own time? Is it a time factor or is is there some other reason behind it? Yeah, it's a combination of things. I guess um, I, I, had a look, I had a good look through the Ed Roller resource and I actually thought... You know, given the time that I've got to pre prepare things for students and the quality that I'd like them to receive, um, this is going to be, I think this is going to be much more powerful. It's got the inbuilt checks for understanding. So yes. if I'm doing my own videos, which I have done in the past because I've done some online tutoring and things like that, I would always say, pause the video now and work on this question. But there's no mm. way for me to find out if one, if students have done that and two, um, whether they got it right or not. Um, so there's, I guess there's quality, there's building in the checks for understanding, and then there's also just the ability to see what they have and haven't watched on a student-by-student -student basis, so kind of tracking student progress. So for all those reasons, um, I was keen to give Ed Rollo a, a crack. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And we've we've had a similar message coming through from from Joe Morgan, who their school subscribes to Hegarty Maths, which will be, I'm guessing, has similar functionality to, to Ed Rolo. And she said she simply cannot replicate all the things that that does. So why why would she why would she spend the time trying to do so? So yeah, it makes perfect sense. Thanks, Holly. Um, uh, Bryn, is there anything you wanted to kind of mention or pick up on uh, that Ollie said, or are you happy for me to kind of uh, ask you some general summary no, questions? No, that, that's all right. Yeah, happy. Okay, Ollie's passed yeah. that one. That's good. That's good. Good to hear. Okay, um, well, let me come to you, Bryn, first then. Um, just to kind of bring things together, what what's working well for you um, about this? Whether we call it distance learning or online teaching, what what are the good things? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I do like the fact that basically everyone's in the front row. And they're, they're seeing exactly what I want them to see as long as they're looking at their screen, uh, which obviously I can't guarantee. Um, but I, I, do like, I do like the fact that I can make a, quite a smooth experience for them in terms of if I want to show them a calculator demonstration, I can have my calculator queued up, I can share the screen, then I can bring them back to the notes, share, share the notes. Um, so I like, I like that aspect of it. Um, I like the, the private chat feature I mentioned before, checking for understanding. And also... The reduced overhead, if you do want to do something online or using a computer, the idea of just flicking over, it feels less cumbersome than in a usual classroom where you'd have to say, all right, get out your devices and let's make a start. Yeah. I love that. So, There's two 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 things there that I'd not thought of before. Less overheads. I love I love that. I love that as a concept. The fact that they're already online, so it's it's not a big thing. Handing things out, logging in, forgot my password. It's not charged up. I love that. And everyone in the front row. That's a really nice, really nice phrase. That's fantastic. That brilliant. Yeah. I might just sorry to add on to my answer, but I feel like in some ways I'm starting to find it more personal than a normal class. It's it's weird, but. Um, just seeing their faces there yesterday afternoon with this year 12 class. And I do usually have this year 12 class on a, on a Friday in the afternoon. And yeah, it sort of felt nice just rounding out the week, you know, I'm looking at them and then at the end of the class, I say, you know, have a great weekend boys. And they're saying, why, thanks, sir. You know, have a, have a great weekend, Mr. Humberstone. It felt, it felt actually quite nice just seeing them right there in front of me. Um, yeah. So I liked that. Fantastic. And um, Ollie, how about for yourself? What, what's working well? 
Um, well, first I'll, I'll pick up on something Bryn said and sure. say, because it's actually the opposite for me. It's actually a challenge and that's the pers- personalization because for whatever reason, a lot of my students, and maybe it's kind of the room they're in and what the background is and their mm. situation, but a lot of them, I've been having basically one student per lesson turning their camera on. So I've been trying to communicate and talk to basically, you know, Craig Barton, Bryn Humberstone, <laughs> a bunch of names just in front of me. Um, yes. And that really detracts from that teaching experience and being able to read students' faces and things. So that has been a big challenge. So there's me pre- probably preempting your next question. But in terms of things that have been working well, um, Desmos has been great. This has kind of been a bit of a catalyst to push me into trying more and experimenting more with Desmos and I've been getting a lot out of it and um, it's something I hope to be able to use more in future um, dependent upon obviously the the context in in which I'm teaching. Um, I've found being able to track students' work to be a lot better because because I'm getting them to upload stuff and because I can see Ed Rollo, like, you know, there's no way to track which pages of a textbook a kid's read, but I can see exactly which videos they've watched um, and it's in real time. So that's a real big benefit. And then I know that um, some of my high achievers are just absolutely screaming ahead. Um, you know, they're really, they're finding the videos really clear. They're finding, you know, the work I set um, manageable and then they're asking me for more stuff because they've got the time um, and and they're just finding it a lot more time efficient for themselves to be working at their own pace. The converse is true though for the for the low achievers. That is interesting that Ollie isn't it the differentiation side of things. Um, I can see it from a kind of high achiever perspective that this would be beneficial you're not having to wait around and so on and so forth. Um, I would hope or this might be my naivety that it's also beneficial for the lower achievers in the fact that they can they can rewatch things and they can they can go at their own pace if they need to. Are you finding that's not the case? Yeah, I guess it depends upon the reason why a student is a low achiever. So if they're a low achiever because they 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 just they're a hard worker but they struggle, then the videos can be good for them. But I mean, in my experience, you know, people are going to be low achievers because of they lack self regulation. Um, mm. So you know, they don't, which is associated with their motivation. Um, and those two things are just totally compounded by this situation. So I've got some students who were doing very little, who were doing very little work, and I can see they've literally done nothing for the last, mm. you know, week and a half. And and you know, I've sent the messages, called parents, but it's it's so hard <laughs> when they're there competing with computer games and things like that. Um, and then yeah, the disadvantage just compounds everything. So those students who were who were behind before, but hard workers. Um, but then they don't, they've got one laptop to share between multiple kids and then, you know, it's just a really, really t- tricky situation for them. Yeah, fascinating. I'll, um, you mentioned, well, I'll come to you first, things that aren't working so well. So you've, you've, you've mentioned the personalization. Um, anything else that isn't working well, Ollie? Um, I mean, just just to sum it up, and we were just speaking about it then really, it's just the widening the widening gaps um, between the students who, are, who, who have, have the tech and have the motivation and those students who don't yeah it's, it's interesting I'm, I'm hoping to get her on as part of this series but danny quinn who's head of maths at michaela school she's been on the show a couple of times she sent a fascinating tweet out about this that alluded to the fact that you think that one of the key well if you were say to me before this what is going to be the, the thing that's going to split kids up for me it's going to be the kids who have access to the tech and the kids who don't have access to the tech that's going to be the big thing that drives the gap but what danny was experiencing was that obviously the tech's important but it's this motivational angle that's even more important she's finding because you get the kids who do very little at school 
they're doing even less at home and they don't have the teacher there because the parents, for whatever reason, um, can't help them in that sense. So they are doing nothing because they've got they've got no person checking up on them. And the kids that are motivated, well, they're taking the, adva- the opportunity to do even more and ask more questions and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's not just as you've alluded to, it's not just the tech widening the gap, it's the support structures at home, the motivation and so on and so forth. And, and often they're correlated with the tech side of things, but it's it's a massive problem, isn't it, Ollie? And there's, there's no easy solution to it. Totally. And in, in relation to that, I mean, I could add something else that's been a challenge and that's probably my own mental health. Um, you know, just not seeing my colleagues as frequently as I would, preparing lessons for students I don't actually end up seeing because I've got their cameras yes. off or because they can't yes. log in. Um, you know, you make a video providing feedback to a student and then they don't acknowledge it um, and things like that. It's just, it's it's a lot more challenging than it would normally be. So I guess that, that was something that I was keen to acknowledge in this interview um, that I think, you know, there's multiple, millions of teachers across the world right now who are having a really rough time um, and I've, I'm one of them I've, I've been struggling a lot more than I usually would um, so that's definitely something I've been that's been challenging for me absolutely absolutely um, Bryn how about yourself what, what, what's not working well well now that Ollie said that I feel a bit like a first world problem if I start saying <laughs> things that I'm struggling with um, uh, I I've had a few technical issues, you know, I, I'm trying to push the tech to the limits a little bit to try and replicate the classroom experience. Um, and that's, so sometimes I'll be talking about something for a while and then eventually someone will say, oh, you're not actually sharing your screen. Are you are you trying to show us something? And that's a bit embarrassing. You know, you've been talking away for three minutes on some question or you're pressing enter frantically on the calculator keyboard and they can't see it. Uh, I guess a cousin of that is if you're on mute for a while, you know, that's a bit embarrassing. Um, I think um, on a a more personal note, um, just managing my own family. So my wife's a teacher as well, and she's teaching her classes upstairs. We we have a three-story unit. So upstairs, she's teaching hers. I'm on the middle floor and the children on the bottom floor. And usually that works quite well. But then every so often when I'm teaching a class or I'm in a meeting, I hear that knock, knock, knock on the door. And my children have learned the knock, 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 but they haven't learned that if they don't hear <laughs> come in, um, that I think they think the default is, yeah, sure, I'll come in. <laughs> and um, so sometimes I have to do a very quick mute, stop video, and then tell them to go away. Uh, but then sometimes I've actually just let them come in. And I don't, I don't mind so much if the boys see... Oh, actually, as a father, I also have some responsibilities to my own children. Sure. I, I don't think that's terrible modelling for them to see, <laughs> but it is a bit annoying as well. That's brilliant. Yeah, that is that is brilliant. I've had my little boy crash a few of these podcasts. Actually, yeah, yeah, he he's not quite got his uh, got his head round when when daddy's working. Um, I know it's kind of early days for for both of you here. I'll come to you first, Ollie. But um, ha- has anything changed since you started this? Or I guess what is perhaps more relevant. Are you going to be making any changes over the kind of coming weeks from from what you've learned so far? Um, I mean, I have already made one change, even though it's been such a short period of time, and that is I've I've cut down even even more what I was planning on doing. So right now I'm expecting a couple of things from students each week. It's to work through the Edrollo content. It's to submit a question to me on Monday. I'm speaking about one class, and then it's to submit their homework on Wednesday, and as, as well as attend the check-in if they can. Um, I initially also in the plan of work that I sent out to them had a progress check each week, which we spoke about last time. But since then I've just I've just dropped that because I just 
was actually, I, I read um, Ben Newmark's post, um, which was, what was it entitled? Something like Mission to the Moon number two, and just talking about the, the stress that students and teachers are under at the moment. And I, and I checked in with a few students and I just thought, I, I'm just going to drop the workload even more, just so they've got more time to spend with family and, and, and kind of you know, deal with all, all that's going on at the moment. You're fantastic. How about yourself, Brennan? Any changes made or on the horizon? Um, well, I'm, I'm constantly trying to tweak things. Um, this morning I was experimenting with having my iPad um, set up as sort of a member in the Zoom conversation so I can write on my iPad. Just oh, I thought I that might, yeah. might look it's a bit good, more yeah. professional than the sort of handwritten on top of the whiteboard, you know, with my hand there. Um, but no, I'm still, I'm still tweaking, you know, so day 13 is on Monday and, uh, you know, who knows what I'll look like by the end of next week. <laughs> Fantastic. Superb. Um, I'll come to you, Ollie, on this one. Do you get a sense of how your kids are finding this experience? Yeah. So I've, I've done a fair bit of checking in with them and some of the, some of the comments have been, so some of the high achievers have said that they've found the workloads less which I think realistically it actually is, um, and that they're learning more. Um, some of the lower chiefs have said, in particular, they're struggling um, with kind of organizing themselves and navigating what's due from each class because they're having different teachers. Our school hasn't mandated a, a particular platform to use or anything like that, so they have different teachers using different platforms. Um, they're getting a lot of their instructions through emails and students like they don't take that and then make a list of things to do. They just have this yes. big sea of emails. And so the students who don't know how to organize themselves are just really falling behind. Um, something that's been kind of unanimous and positive has been that every student who I've spoken to has really appreciated the videos um, because they can pause, rewind, go back through. Um, the, the flip side of that is the low achievers have said that they haven't been finding the time to get through all of them. Um, mm. So that's another challenge, and and something that has come through again is a lot of the students have said they're missing the interactions um, in the classroom, the ability to ask the mate next to them to help them with a the question and things like that, or to raise their hand. Um, I think a lot of them see the barrier of kind of, you know, asking out into the ether of a Zoom call more intimidating than raising their hand and asking me to yes. come over or something like that. So that that issue of about how to support students to ask questions, um, which is actually the next the topic of the next pod, ERRR podcast that's coming out. It's a you know a big challenge that I've been. I like it. Yeah, it's good 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 LinkedIn LinkedIn wasn't it? This guys. Um, anyway, um, it's no, it's a big. I, I had um, Aaron Peters on because it's something I've been struggling with in the normal classroom, but it's something that's just been exacerbated here. It's fa fascinating you, you say that all. There's, there's a couple of things um, from that I just wanted to to, to pick up on. The um, I think it was again. I think it was Michael Pershing. He tried to replicate the peer-to-peer -peer discussions in Zoom by doing kind of breakout rooms. So it's um, there would be a breakout room for a, a table of four kids who would normally sit together, and a ta another one for a table of four kids. And he would kind of drop into those breakout rooms, and he was finding that that was working well. But of course, that relies on what we've what one of the biggest challenges is that all kids are, are online at the same time, all kids are engaging with it, and so on and so forth. And it's it's never going to be as good as as the the live teacher side of things. But it's it's potentially a, a way around it, um, um, definitely. And there was another thing, but I, I can't remember what it was, but I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, for, um, Bryn, what, what about your kids? How are they finding it? I think they're, I think they're finding it okay. I mean, there's probably a selection bias in terms of who's going to respond and, and give you feedback. But I think because we've got a bit more structure to our day, like every student has tutor in the morning, like their pastoral period, just for 10 minutes, check in in the morning at 815 
and then in the afternoon at 3.30, it provides a structure to the day and our tutor groups um, for year 9 to 12 are mixed uh, year levels. And so I have my tutor group discussing things across the across the Zoom and sharing tips about how they're staying organised. Um, so I think that's, that's helping things as well. Um, I would say just on Ollie's thing, that's probably the next barrier for me is like how to actually help students in this environment. So I feel like I've got the instruction bit of it kind of ticking along now that, you know, how am I going to explain a concept? How am I going to demonstrate? How am I going to check for understanding? But then I know, you know, once I've established, okay, these five students really, they need help with polynomials. Like they still don't know how to divide a cubic and we're, you know, almost at the end of that topic. Uh, I don't know if that's big in the UK, but, you know, it's a, it's a big thing in, in yeah, Australia. Yeah, we, we love that one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they can't divide a cubic. How are they going to factorize? How are they going to solve? How are they going to graph their stuff? And you can see it, but I haven't worked out in the 45-minute period how to set up a dynamic of, okay, you 15 students, stay here. Don't mm. leave the main room. I'm just going to pop into the breakout room. Yes. <laughs> and, uh uh, yeah, I haven't figured that out yet, but maybe that's um, that's something to work on on day 13 or day 14. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and Ollie, I remember what I was uh, going to mention before. This this notion of assuming that kids are good at structuring their their days and their weeks, like it, it's it's incredible because when it comes when we're teaching in normal schools, whenever 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 schools are open and stuff, when it comes to revision time, I'm always shocked at how much kind of 15 and 16 year olds or even 17 and 18 year olds can't even stick to like a revision timetable or something like that, where they kind of do an hour, an hour a night on different topics and so on. And yet there seems to be this underlying assumption that kids are going to be great when they're not in school at all, structuring their potentially their entire week if they were set in kind of work at the start of the week and they've got not just for math they've got it for english history and so on like for some kids that is the single biggest challenge isn't it and i spoke um on this series the last episode to jules darby who's a, um, a dolby who's an expert um with um, SEN students. And she said that that is one of the biggest drivers of anxiety, that all of a sudden that structure is just taken away from kids and they just don't have a clue where to start. It's, mm. it's a massive challenge, isn't it, Al? It is. And it's actually probably the area of teaching that I'm starting to get more and more interested in. Um, I'm getting particularly interested in the work of James Mannion and Kate McAllister over there in the UK. I'm not sure if you're familiar with their work. No, I'm not. No, but no. they've done some amazing stuff. And they, um, James did his PhD in this topic. And they have a, a company called Rethinking Ed. And they're about to bring out a book, which I've, I was lucky enough to read over the last few weeks. And I just think, you know, this ability to organize yourself, um, you know, both like your whole your physical environment, your timetable and your, your mental environment um, is just something that we often don't spend enough time supporting kids to do within school and by the time they get to me at year 11 and 12 like that is the thing that sets kids apart the ones who do well are the ones who can organize their time stick to their um, study plans who can monitor their thinking um, identify their knowledge gaps plug them like and those kids do fine and the kids who don't have those skills they just really struggle so it's it's the area that um, I'm getting more and more interested in and like you said this online experience is just bringing it even more into focus fascinating fascinating uh, right let's do some uh, reflections to bring it together let me come to you first Bryn um, is there anything about distance teaching or online learning that you actually prefer to uh, teach in, in the real classroom um, well, at the start, I did like the automatic homework collection idea, um, although it turns out I couldn't even manage to log on <laughs> to look at it. So who knows whether they've probably caught on to that. 
Um, so I like that. Um, I like the fact that I have to think a bit more about my explanation because uh, I have to be a bit more efficient. I, there's less teaching time as a way of making this a more manageable affair. So you have to be a bit more efficient. Although actually some of the some of that is offset by the fact that you can just mute all the students, uh, which does make actually the teaching, you know, it says 45 minutes, but actually you might waste a bit of time in a usual class just getting everyone settled and ready to learn. Um, actually, probably the, the main thing that I'm finding is I'm, I'm finding it quite stimulating just trying to apply the principles of instruction to just a new environment. Mm. So, you know, what does it what does it mean to check for understanding in this environment? That that is an interesting question to me. So yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying that. Fantastic. How about you, Ola? Anything you prefer? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, given that our timetable has been significantly reduced, I do have more time now. Um, you know, not as busy, so that's really nice. Um, it's I'm grateful that it's forced me to explore some new tech, um, that I'd been kind of meaning to explore, um, but hadn't hadn't quite made the time for. And I've found that it's it's actually brought like as a team, the senior maths team where I, where I teach, it's actually brought us closer together, um, because. You know, before we're talking about the widening gaps between students based upon various skill sets and things like that, I think that's also the case for teachers. You know, there's some teachers who've spent their whole career in the classroom teaching with the whiteboard and they just haven't developed, you know, even like good email skills or good, um, you know, Mm. Microsoft Teams, how to make videos, Desmos, all this kind of stuff. Um, And so what that's meant is that those kind of gaps in skills have become really apparent. So what we've done is we've... um, I've basically dedicated all of our meeting time, which is obviously Zoom meetings, to supporting people to do that. And I've also paired up more experienced tech people with less experienced tech people and got them to um, work together to skill each other up and to share knowledge and things like that. And it's actually brought our our department together uh, more. And I, I feel like we're almost more connected and a bit tighter than before. So that's a real, real benefit. That's fascinating, Ali. That's one thing that's not come up on this series, uh, um, departmental meetings. And I know from when you were on the show um, first time around, we spent a lot of time speaking about how you how you run your meetings and how that's a really kind of big part of the of the process of being a head of department for you. Can you just briefly, Ali, um, what, what are your what are your online meetings looking like? How how are you how are you structuring those? Um, so I, I still start meetings in the same way as I did two or three years ago when we chatted. Um, Craig, so that's the first question is, you know, share what's some, something you're grateful for. Um, what's your workload look like at the moment? And is there anything you need help with? And and recently, that's basically taken up the whole lit, whole session yeah, because the whole, sure. the, the question of what do you need help with um, will just, either, whether it be breakout rooms or something like that, but we'll just pair up and, and do a bit of skill sharing and get people up to speed. Um, what I did do like, Last uh, last meeting, which was a little bit different, was I actually ran a Desmos activity for the team just to give them a bit of an intro of what it's like to be a student in a Desmos classroom. Um, and nice. I used that as the structure for the meeting. So I put those questions at the start. You know, what are you grateful for? Got, this, got them to fill it in. Then they could see other people's responses. And then I, you know, said, got everyone on one screen and gave them some feedback on a question, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one thing I did differently. Bryn. That's, that's super smart. Bryn, go for it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying running the meetings over Zoom as well, actually. And in particular, the breakout room functionality for the teachers, not teaching them how to use it for their classes, but literally using it in a meeting to discuss, you know, what, what's something interesting that you've learned in the last week that you want to share with um, 
other teachers. And it's it's great as a meeting organizer to be able to either pre-design the breakout rooms or I've just been doing the randomly randomly set up ones. But if you think about the dynamic of a normal staff meeting, otherwise it's just going to be the same two or three people just chatting to each other because they're the ones who came in together. And then there's a sort of weird dynamic as it's like, you know, you can't really pop in because people can hear each other. Whereas in this in this environment, you can give them five five to ten minutes and, and pop into each room and just hear the sort of vibe of the room and then choose someone who you're going to get to report back to the group. So I feel in terms of my running of meetings, it's, it's a lot better than the kind of um, think, pair, share type of model that I did have um, having the breakout room. So I'm, I'm loving that feature. That's interesting. Again, it's it's not something I considered until the two of you brought it up. There were well, t- two things really. The um, kind of using the fact that the meetings are online to showcase, as Ollie said, what it's like for the students to experience that online thing. So having them take part in a Desmos activity, having them take part just in a Zoom conversation and showing how you can do things on, on there. That that's one side of things. Um, and the other thing is is using the benefits of the breakout rooms of the the check for understanding as you would with kids with 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 teachers in a sense so that's that's fascinating that that's brilliant um Brent, let me come to you for the penultimate question uh, do you think this experience will change your classroom teaching in any way yeah i'm actually not sure um i, I know a few of your guests have said no absolutely not I, I can't really predict the effect it's going to have, but I think one thing, and I've, I've probably banged on about this too much, but the check for understanding thing, I feel like I've I've relied on body language and facial expressions too much as a check for understanding, where it's more just a check for confidence slash yes. don't look at me type of expression. And a lot of teachers are saying, well, how are we going to know if they understand? But actually, I don't think that just looking at their faces I, I don't know if people can actually tell just by looking at someone's face if they genuinely understand what's mm. happening. And so it's forced me to just deal at the mechanical level. Like, I'm going to ask you a question. So I asked my year 12s yesterday, do you think you understand what I just explained? Because I was teaching this difficult concept. And most of them put the thumbs up symbol. And then I did the example and I said, okay, now you work out. And then I could literally see, okay, well, actually, a lot of them do understand. But just forcing that separation, just ignoring the body language a little bit and focusing more on evidence that they actually understand. That's fascinating. It's one of my things I'm obsessed with, Bryn, is this difference between perception of understanding and actual understanding. And you're right, this this almost forces it to be black and white because we can't rely on kids nodding their heads anymore. It's got to be, give me some evidence. That That's fascinating. That's brilliant. Um, Ollie, how about yourself? I know it's early days, but do you think it will change anything about how you operate in the classroom? Um, yeah, I think whenever you explore a new tool and kind of expand your toolbox as a teacher, you know, you've, you've, you've developed something else that you can draw on in future. So in terms of the tech like Desmos, I know I will draw upon it in, in more of a capacity than I have in the past. So that'll, that'll be a positive thing. Um, I think I actually might keep students submitting homework through Microsoft Teams because it is much easier and much more efficient in terms of my time of checking and providing feedback. You know, you can embed a rubric there um, and that's really good. Um, And then I guess it's really kind of made me even more confident about the importance of supporting students to develop these organizational skills because they can kind of fly under the radar a bit more easily in class and like, you know, just walk into class what's due sir or ask their mate what's due yeah, and just yeah. kind of like this real in the moment kind of a, a, a lacking organization but it's just become even more obvious here so it's it's just reinforced that point for me that that's something that i'm keen to to work on a uh, longer term 
Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, uh, Bryn, final question. Um, do you have any advice or tips for, for teachers who are perhaps struggling with um, with, with this scenario? Sure. Um, I think my first piece of advice is don't expect it to be as good as regular teaching. So, and that, that goes for all dimensions of it. So don't expect the experience of staring into a sea of faces uh, on a screen, possibly all cameras off, to be as good. And if you expect it to be as good, you'll just be disappointed. So we've had a bit of a debate in our faculty about how we're going to do testing. And it's it's sort of a case of just choosing the least bad option in different scenarios. So sometimes we're going to do through Desmos. Sometimes we're going to get them to print or handwrite and then scan in and send. And it's it's not going to be as nice as just the old-fashioned way. Um, but if, if you don't go in expecting it to be as good and just accept you're going to have to make some trade-offs, then, then that's just uh, going to make it a lot less painful for you. Uh, the other thing I've, I've found is it's cognitively so demanding to teach like this because especially if you do try and get to as close as possible to 100% of the normal experience. I've got two monitors set up one with a Zoom classroom with, you know, 20 to 24 faces uh, or, you know, students there. I'm trying to manage that. I'm trying to share a screen and try and make the whole procedure as smooth as possible. I'm switching between my regular webcam, then my uh, document camera if I'm trying to explain something to them. But then I want to quickly, you know, emphasize a point. So I flick back to my my webcam. Um, and I, I find I'm using a lot of mental energy on the logistics that previously I wasn't. And I don't know if that's basically because I'm just a novice in this new environment. Like mm. if I, I I didn't have even the language of um, cognitive load theory back in my first year of teaching to, to compare it. And I imagine I had a lot going on in my mind then. But it's just, uh, you know, you, you walk out of the class with almost a headache. <laughs> There's so much going on. Um, and so I guess I think it's it's okay to just acknowledge it's hard and it doesn't have to be perfect. Oh, it's brilliant advice. It's a brilliant point that Bryn. And I've been thinking this myself. It's it's almost forcing the entire teaching profession to move back to 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 being novice teachers and having to think about things that you never would think about. Well, when I teach these days um, in a normal classroom, my the vast majority of my focus is on the mathematics, is on the questions I ask, interpreting kids' responses. But that's kind of out the window now, and I'm back to the days when my focus was on behavior and my focus was on all the things that now I just take for granted. It's kind of shifted and back to that because now it's, it's all the online stuff and the technology and can you see this? Am I unmuted and so on and so forth? It's yeah, it's a challenge and that's the negative side of things, but the positive side of things is, well, hopefully we'll all get better at it and hopefully it will help us have a bit more empathy with less experienced teachers with the struggles that they have. So that's, that's fascinating. Um, Ollie, let me give the final words to you yourself about um, advice and tips. Now, this can be from your own perspective, but also, of course, you've uh, recorded a fascinating series of interviews at, at the start of this kind of lockdown process where you spoke to leading experts from a wide variety of backgrounds on different things. So I'm interested in piece of advice from yourself, but also what you picked up from that series of interviews. Okay, well, I can give you a, a quick and easy one from that series of interviews. This was from Bianca Rossi in um who's teaching in South Korea at the moment, and, and she had the very, very practical piece of advice, which is create a standing desk. Um, and this is, you know, just for your own health and safety. So she, all she'd, yes. she'd done was, you know, stacked a couple of cardboard boxes on top of each other, and she was using that for about half the day. And she said that that had been super beneficial um, for her. Yes. Let me have a think about what else we had. Nadine Bailey had some really good advice, which was, 
you know, you don't have to use every tool and the technology that we use should actually be in service of what we're trying to achieve. So, just because someone says there's a tool out there that's really cool and it can do, you know, this, that and the other, doesn't mean you have to explore it if you've already got something which adequately serves that instructional purpose in your classroom. So, teachers don't have to feel like they need to go out there and and learn everything. Um, Another thing um, I've found useful is in coming back to that issue of students struggling to manage everything that I've got to do at one time or working out what they're trying to work out working out what they're trying to achieve or what's due, um, is trying to make, keep the demands in one place, like whether it be a single Google Doc or something like that, Mm -hmm. where they know that there's like just that one place that they need to go back to every time. For my classroom, it's just Microsoft Teams and the Assignments tab. And so within the assignment, whilst it says homework due on on this day at this time, and I put that in the title of the assignment as well, not just in the um, subscript, um, it actually has every single instruction required for that and if students do nothing else but log on to the assignment tab of Microsoft Teams they can actually keep up with all of the work um, and the final thing comes back to kind of supporting supporting um, our teams and this is probably one more for heads of department but um, I guess something that my teams really appreciated is not not overlooking the benefit of just a phone call so you know just a call out of the blue to one of my team members you know hey Craig how you doing just checking in you know what are you working on at the moment? That sounds good. How's your family? You know, and just supporting, making time for those little incidental chats that you can usually have um, around the school, but you just they just don't happen. So just really scheduling some time for that would probably be the final thing I'd say. Fantastic. That's a super piece of advice from, from both of you there. Well, look, this has been an, an absolute pleasure. It's uh, it's always great to chat to you, Ollie. And um, Bryn, this has been a, an amazing debut on, on the podcast. There was some good uh, Desmos drop in early on. It was fantastic. Same from you, Ollie. You got the, the link to your podcast in, I think, the first sentence that you spoke here, which is uh, a new record. That was fantastic. That, But honestly, I've absolutely loved speaking to both of you, getting different perspectives from, from the different backgrounds of your schools and the different challenges you face so thank you Brynn and thank you Ollie so much for uh, taking the time to speak to us today thanks Craig thanks Craig